0: the word is resistance the podcast where we're exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about living surviving even thriving in the context of empire tyranny violence and repression conditions that describe the United States for the past 600 years for people of color what do our sacred stories have to teach us about our role in resistance in showing up in liberation My name is Nicola Torbett, and I'm based in Oakland, California. And I am Vahisha Hassan,
1: based in Memphis, Tennessee. We have reached Holy Week, and the final part of our Lenten journey with Jesus toward his execution by the state, aided and abetted by religious leaders. We recognize that Jesus is still being crucified daily in black and brown bodies. That's why we've dedicated this Lenten season to thinking together about how we can dismantle white supremacy. Each week, we've gathered a different group of theologians, writers, movement activists, and thinkers to discuss the lectionary scriptures with that task in mind. So welcome to that conversation. Today, we're joined by several contributors to the Lenten devotional, recipients if we can have each participant for this week give their name and where you are based in the world.
2: Hi, I'm Yvette Blair and I am based in Dallas, Texas.
3: Hi, I'm Roshana Ferguson and I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia.
4: Hi, I'm Jasmine Morell, and I'm based in Asheville, North Carolina.
5: Hi, I'm Antonia Coleman and I'm based in Chicago, Illinois.
6: Hi, I'm David Brazil, and I'm based in Oakland, California.
1: On this podcast, we will be discussing the lectionary texts for Monday, Thursday and Good Friday. So oh, thank you again. Uh, we're going to start with Yvette. Thank you so much, Yvette, for answering our call to this submission. And I'm, I'm so encouraged and convicted and moved by your submission. Yvette came from 1 Corinthians 11:23 23 through 26, those verses. And her titling is A Holy Revolutionary Communion breaking bread so people can live whole. I'm going to, to recite the how she begins, the very top portion. And then I'm going to do the closing. And after that, well, I bet I'd love to hear, um, you can fill in the middle if you want. You can give us the inspiration that led you to express in this way and anything else that you would like anyone to know about you, your work, or how this poured into you and how you poured into us. Okay. It begins. In the red solo cup where Jesus' blood is swirling like purplish red Kool-Aid, I see images of black and brown bodies reflected in this covenant. Theirs not the only ones broken apart, names we call out as we commune together. For we do this in remembrance of them, saying their names, remembering Christ's death on the cross, his last breath, a final gasp of his punctured body, giving up the ghost, declaring it finished. His worn body, the final nail of hatred, hammered into love in the flesh, into the word made flesh. His wounded body with blood flowing, not unlike chalk-lined bodies, hers, Keisha's bullet-riddled body in Inglewood, Corinne's in Baltimore, Trayvon's in Sanford, Hers, Natasha's tasered in Fairfax County, Jordan's in Balk Springs. A final grasp, gasp for liberation, a guttural cry, pleading to get freed from the stronghold of white supremacy. Handcuffed by systematic, by systemic racism, murdered just like Jesus. But in this cup, I also see resistance rising up, a holy revolution of neighborhood policing, protecting beautiful black and brown bodies, queer, straight, transgendered, femme, gay, our new covenant. You close with, <clears throat> let us offer a communion, a, a communion of community intinction where there is no separation of class, race, gender, socioeconomic status. The chalice holds the tears of our collective lament and sadness must be turned into a holy revolution to convey that every time, everywhere that bread is broken, in mansions or shacks, it becomes community safety that enables all God's people to live whole with liberty and justice for all. This, do in remembrance of Christ.
2: Yes.
3: <laughs> okay,
2: like, I, I mean, yes.
3: <laughs> this, I, I've never heard this way. Thank you.
2: So, thank you for reading it because it sounds really good to hear somebody else to read it and to um, do the inflections that you did. So, for me, the reason that I was drawn to this particular passage is actually twofold. Number one is that communion, Holy Communion, Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, whatever it is that people want to call it, it's that one. Part within the worship celebration that it brings the community together. It's everybody sitting down and having this communal meal. And so when we think about Christ's suffering, when we think about all that he stood for, when we think about how Jesus himself was marginalized and how he reached out to people in the margins. I think the challenge is when we join and gather around that table to have communion or if it's the trays that are passed around through the pews and people are picking up the bread and the wine, we have to remember that it's more than just a remembrance, but it's looking at if this is Christ's body and all that he went through and understand that He wasn't, he he didn't just die. He was killed. He was murdered. Right. And that is an opportunity for us to stop and pause and reflect. Who are the other bodies that were also murdered? Those black and brown bodies that we hear about in the news, that we know their names from people in our own communities. And so, Breaking of bread is about opening up our eyes. And so for me, the challenge is for the church and the followers of Christ to not just see this as a meal and solely reflect on Christ, but to remember all those other bodies that have been punctured, those bodies that have been tasered, those bodies that have been shot down even in their own backyards, like like we've heard in recent days, those bodies, because when we all come together, those bodies are also swirling in that cup, just like Jesus is. What, the what? second thing, oh, sorry. I'm sorry.
1: No, I was just, I just, on that, I, I guess because of this week and the, the killings of the... Yeah. That have happened. That has happened specifically this week, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But why do you think it's so hard for people to make that connection? Like, why is there such a disconnect between Jesus's murdered body and these black and brown bodies? Like, I don't understand.
2: Yeah, it's really disheartening. I think the reason there is such a disconnect is because, unfortunately, in the church, a lot of times um, the person who's standing to deliver the message isn't conveying it in that way. I often hear how people say Christ died on the cross. That's true, but they never, ever say that Jesus was killed, that Jesus was murdered. And so until we can talk about Jesus in that way and call it out for what it is that he was murdered at the hands of religious leaders and folks who didn't like what he was doing, didn't like that he was trying to make changes in the community, didn't like that he was trying to liberate and free oppressed people, then we'll never make that connection. We won't see Jesus in the fullness of who, of who he was and who he is as a black person, as a, as a dark-skinned person, just like the dark-skinned persons that are being killed in our, in our communities every day.
1: And last week, um, for those who have been following along the different podcasts, last week, they, we got into that heavily about the great lie, the great lie that Jesus was lily white, right? And so I think mm-hmm. that is at the heart of that. If we are unable to see Jesus as anything other than lily white, then we also are not able to make those connections. So thank you. Exactly. Just interrupted. I just am super frustrated. Yeah,
2: yeah, as 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 place. am
1: I. And so, I I'm super <laughs> frustrated, heartbroken, enraged and I'm I'm in a place. So thank you.
2: Amen. Yeah, yeah, I I I am too. Um the second the second thing that really drew me to this is um within the last 6 months um two other womanist theologians, um Reverend Dr. Ivory Lynn Session and Reverend Camila Hall Sharp, the three of us have cultivated and started a new womanist church in Dallas called The Gathering, and we make it a point every week to make sure that we incorporate Holy Communion into the worship experience. I think a lot of times, a lot of churches only do communion once a month. They tend to do it on that first Sunday, but we think it's so important because we like to talk about how um, breaking bread does make people live whole lives. Breaking bread is one of those where when we think about the systemic racism, um, as I, as, as I talked about in the piece, um, we think about food deserts, we think about poverty, those people that don't even have access to bread. And so a lot of times I think we take for granted that bread is something that everybody has access to when in mm-hmm. reality it isn't. You have to think about the people who are also on these um, systems where they need um, governmental assistance to be able to to buy bread. So ending, it, it, it's this sense of how do we reimagine and reorient ourselves to what Holy Communion really means and what it means for the greater part of the community.
0: Got gotcha. you.
1: Yes, I have become an online participant of your womanist church. <laughs>
2: During yes, day. yes, you are. Thank you.
1: Yes, yes, I am. And I will be tuning
2: in tonight. <laughs> and, and your 6 p.m. Central Saturday, time. Your Saturday
1: at what time?
2: Um, 6 p.m. Central.
1: Saturday at 6 p.m. Central. And they are amazing. And they have helped me um, both go into my Sunday, you know, further Sunday morning worship and throughout the week. And it, is, it has really been a blessing to me. So thank you to all of you. And I can't wait to come in person. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that and and opening us up in that way. And I think that that was so so well said. Uh, next, you're going to hear from Rashana. And for anyone that doesn't have the either the ebook or the printed devotional, listen. I need you to go get it because not only did Rashana write a a beautiful poetic poetic expression, but she also made it look like water. Like, I don't even understand how the the visual of the poem looks like either like water or like um, if you turned it to the side and you ever see uh, levels of music and it looks like the the levels are going up and down or even like a heartbeat kind of situation. This is what it looks like. So how did you give me art with art with some art on it? Like, I'm just so, <laughs> I'm just so impressed and grateful. And to connect, um, I know why uh, that from Princeton's liberation, um, from Black Theological Leadership Institute, we were different years, but we are just connected in that way. And Roshana and I go
5: all
1: the way back to high school. <laughs> oh, wow. We were in high school together. We were uh, at Independence High School in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, and we were both in the uh, International Baccalaureate program, short for uh, IB. And it was hard and gruesome, but we also were like the
2: awesome.
1: spots in that space. So, because <laughs> it was a very elevated program, it was um, kind of around the world. We all did the same curriculum, and we started off with maybe like a hundred, you know, POC folks like freshman year, not ninth grade year. But by by senior year, how many did we have, Rashana? Five? Maybe seven. Maybe seven. If we if if we include full, full POC, let me say black folk. By by senior year, we have five black folk. Five, yes. We had lots of we
2: had had
1: like lots of, of, of our East Indian and um Asian brothers and sisters. But listen, the black folk, five. Yes. <laughs> So thank you, Roshana, for um, being a huge part of my childhood development and also being a part of this devotional. I love you so, so much. Um, Rashana came from the 22nd Psalm and she called it a justice lamentation. It's amazing. I'm going to read, um, I think, one or two of the sections. They're kind of separated out in verse because seriously, it's music and art all like, all at the same time. Father, we cry out to you, even as our lamenting seems unheard. Merged in our mighty pleas are the ancestors as they are stirred, as our blood is spilling from the mighty Nile to every city's street, allowing it to be ingrained into the concrete with injustices offbeat. Permeated with expressions so true they could be angel-breathed, riddled with messages as hard-hitting as any sword unsheathed. All day and night we grow hoarse, waiting to be hearkened, to yet we renew daily our weeping with the early morning dew. I'm skipping. Those who seek to oppress us treat us as lowly dirt girths equating our pigmented skin with the filthy parts of the earth. Refusing to acknowledge that we have any rights or worth. Some days we feel like the world's bastard seeds of mirth. Yet we remain firm in your plans for us all to ultimately bloom. For we've all been destined for greatness since our mother's womb. Your skills as a blacksmith, who knows when to pull us back from the fire, assures us that we shall come forth as our time of oppression has expired. I can shout right there. Okay. Then the last last part, she says, we've made our supplications unto you, the all-knowing, for we are, are assured that our salvation is your grace showing. Father, in you dwells the ultimate culmination of every race. Thus, upon our unification, all shall again marvel at your grace. Separated by degrees of doctrine since the onset of Babylon's tower, reconciliation shall be the genuine display of your mercy and power. No more laws of privilege, but sound doctrine shall forever rule supreme. Awakened to a full outright promise and actuality of Martin's dream. Even as the days have darkened, our trust has remained steady and unwavered for we are certain that all things work together for good of those you favored. Nations shall return from the corners of the earth coming to their senses, smelling the proverbial roses and graciously mend the dividing fences, hands uplifted to heaven, breathing easily, allowing love to conquer all, no more marching but proudly stampeding to the place of victory's call, where every man woman, boy, and girl has their fair share of the pie. We fast, pray, and preach with our feet till this time draws nigh. I need to like say this every morning when I wake up. (laughs) This needs to be like my daily mantra to be able to be in this not yet place that we are in, but heading toward that place. Thank you so much, Rashana. Tell us more about your piece and where you're coming from.
3: Well, for me, why I was drawn to this piece is being a brown person, brown and black people in our space. It's hard to see injustice and then still remain faithful. So it's getting to that place of knowing God, I know that you're still able and capable. But I'm hurting. My people are hurting. People that look like me are dying in the streets every day. But God, I know you haven't forsaken me. But where, what do I do in the meantime? How do yeah. I get from feeling like I'm in this place where I don't see you? It's being able to trust him when you can't see him. And that was why I was so drawn to this particular scripture. Because he starts out talking about, God, you've forsaken me. But in the end, he's back to, okay, God, I know it's going to get done. Just help me in the meantime. And for me, that is my greatest struggle is the meantime. God, I'm preaching with my feet. I'm fasting and I'm doing all the things that you were calling me to do, but they're still happening. So help me to maintain that that faithfulness, I guess would be the word. Just helping me maintain. Uh, and yeah, the art it, the art was intentional. That is uh, oh, something. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> it was so good. Oh my God it was so good that's that's something i do intentionally i um normally try to make i tried to make a heartbeat or a like i always think in musical terms i'm not musical but i i come from a very musical family so um i just tried to to make it uh like a drum beat or a heartbeat
1: well it it completely came across and for those that know me well or even have have ever heard me speak like heartbeat I pretty much say every time I open my mouth it's it's my thing I, I, I love to see the heartbeats in people I'm even I'm able to like drill things down to a heartbeat level because we talk about these grand thematic systemic systematic type of things but we can which are important and we have to focus on that and dismantle those things and address those things but while we're doing that individual heartbeats are at stake and in this case you're talking about heartbeats from the place of, of being oppressed and how do we remain faithful how do we not give up how do we not become so downtrodden I mean because that's one of the ways that the enemy can take us out it's not just even from the oppression itself but the impact of the oppression on our hope and our faithfulness and the God who is Woof. thank you <laughs> thank you so yes. much uh thank you so much Roshana. and I might be rolling through Atlanta next week so I will call you
3: yeah, awesome, awesome.
1: <laughs> awesome. Next, we have Jasmine. Jasmine, who I met in, uh, I think originally at Wild Goose Festival, but who eventually moved to Asheville, North Carolina, where I lived most recently, right before Memphis. Uh, and uh, Jasmine is amazing on top of just being a, able to coordinate the beast out of the Wild Goose Festival. Uh, she also is just very expressive. She's a beautiful editor. She's going to be the um, one of the editors on the next Lenten devotional. Um,
7: <laughs>
1: for, for next year, you're already on the team. Just know we'll be calling on you for that. You're still welcome to submit, but there'll be some editing. Yep, thank you. Nicole and I, we're going to try to sleep through the next devotional. Okay. <laughs> so Jasmine came from John 13... One through 17 those verses and uh, she entitled it freshly washed feet it says toward the middle I love the way this next moment is expressed in the text so simple and so very human he knew his hour had come and having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end he was going to die a gruesome death and he was wrapped up in love for his people if I knew that I was going killed during a routine traffic stop or protesting police violence or in the hospital after childbirth because I did not receive an adequate level of care and attention if I knew I was about to die because the beast of white supremacy a monster much larger though considerably more fragile than myself desired to squelch my voice if I knew My thoughts would most certainly center around my daughters with the hope that my death would not be futile, but but would somehow spur them on in love and in the movement toward liberation. Love coupled with action. Further down, you say, Jesus grounded them in love. I wonder if he knew that this would give them the strength and the power to sustain his movement of healing liberation, even after his death. When we feel powerless, when we are faced with the unthinkable. Sometimes giving or receiving loving service can affect change in immeasurable ways. You went on to do a lament for the Stewart Detention Center, which I would love to hear more about. I'm just going to read your closing. It says, we aren't all as prescient as Jesus, knowing when our hour has come, but we can all love until the end. When we raise our voices, our poetry, our songs, and our stories, Our collective melody has the power to begin healing the very beast that dogs our heels. With the melody of resurrection surrounding through us, the walls of oppression begin to weaken and crumble underneath our freshly washed feet. Oh, my goodness. Tell Tell us more, Jasmine.
4: Well, um I was really like humbled and honored to be asked to contribute to this this devotional but honestly I the topic, you know, it felt so so large and when I when I think about white supremacy or when I, you know, even just engage with the news or, or stories lately these days it I mean, I suppose it's always felt really overwhelming, and so I tried to think like what, when I when I read the text, and um, that moment popped out to me of of Jesus knowing that he's going to die, but the the thing that he he does and tells his people to do is or wash each other's feet, and um, so dialing it down to this really simple, this simple act of of love and loving each other. Um, is fuel fuel for this journey that we're all on, um, and I think that like self care just often gets thrown out the window for me, and I think possibly for a lot of other a lot of other people in the movement. And I just kind of wanted to well, to one to to encourage us to to remember that, and then two, um, the lament piece was also really important to me. You know, saying mm-hmm. saying the names, saying the names over and over and over again. Um, it's it's powerful thing to do. It is power and there's there is so much power in a
1: lament and in that moment. And I think even with um Rashana talking about how do we how do we stay faithful, how do we hold on, and some of that is gonna be found in that lament that you're that you're talking about. Speak a little bit just like from the from the feet washed place. The... the feet
4: washed place. <laughs> Well, you know, I've never particularly, I've never participated in like a foot washing ritual. I know some people that have, but if I can translate that into my everyday life, into these like small mundane moments, I mean, even like giving, caring for someone else, giving my child a bath, um, that becomes something holy. I can allow it to become something holy. And then Mm. in the reverse, if I can be vulnerable enough to, to ask for the, the care that I need, um, that's, really, that's really healing. To know that my community is there and that they love and they're ready to support me. Yeah, we, we need
1: community more than we have ever known that we needed community before. The need has not changed, but we, we need to know how great our need is. Yeah. And I love the way you said, allowing it to be holy. Like, how many times do we have these holy moments? Um, Nicola, <laughs> I, I, I have a sign in my house that says I'm good at naps. And I'm always talking about naps with Nicola. Like, I'd be like, Nicola, I'm waking up from a nap. Okay, Nicola, I'm about to take a nap. And then we can. Okay, so after my nap, Nicola. And so <laughs> Nicola told me that my naps are, what did you say? Small, restorative miracles. small restorative miracles i was like no resurrection resurrecting miracles that's what it was small resurrecting miracles i was like you're right (laughs) so my naps for me have become holy and i do wake up in in that getting up resurrecting place renewed in a different way than i went down and and those are those are miracle pockets and moments and my gosh in my black and brown, in our black and brown bodysuits, as um, Pastor uh, Gina Stewart has now named it, and I am going to call it forever, in my, in my, in my black bodysuit, we need to lament. We need community. And we need those moments and those miracles. We need those holy spaces, even when we have to carve them out. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank <sighs> you. Oh, my Antonia. <laughs> Antonia and I met in 2016, also at Princeton's Black Theological Leadership Institute. We have become ridiculously close uh, since then, and I am grateful to call you friend. Uh, Antonia also expressed through poetry. I'm going to let her give away the punchline where the poem is coming from, but when I tell you, it's a different perspective that like needs to be heard. So I'm just gonna read, um, it covers two pages in the devotional and I'm basically gonna read just the second page. Um, But I will say it comes from John 19, 38 through 42. And she entitled it an unheard lamentation. And you're so right. Like nobody hears or thinks about this perspective. And I want you to share that perspective with us. Uh, It begins with a big, heavy sigh. And how many times do our own expressions begin with a big, heavy sigh? You, dominator, keep unnecessarily peppering my gown and shaming the sacrificial lambs, denouncing their mourners the right to dignify their pain with a met response. Come to me, my children, I am here. Come to me, my children, draw near. Some of you are here sooner rather than later, and I am so sorry you have to feel my love at this time. I am cool, I am not cold. Just know that it is now time for your bodies to transform into the fragments from which the creator shaped you, ideally to replenish, but the dominator, shame, called white supremacy with all its minions. She pauses again and takes a big mournful sigh. It's destroying, pillaging, causing my blood to pour for it's good pleasure just like you. Oh, my daughters, now, now my sons, who remain to grieve such losses. Your loved ones are safe with me. I will tend and care for their every need. When you see the wildfire, wild flowers in their favorite color, they are smiling at you. When the wind brushes your face, they are kissing you. When the wind howls, they are talking to you. When the rain drops, they miss you too. Fridays are busy days for the soulless in blue. These children do enough damage to themselves. They don't need any help from you. My beautiful garment is peppered black and brown, with blood pouring from lifeless bodies, tarnishing my royal gown. Dominator, you are not my redeemer. You are my destroyer. Am I to be redeemed by the slain you send at your hand? Creator, I too need peace. Ashe. Ashe,
5: Ashe, Ashe. Ashe. Thank you, Vahisha, for this opportunity, and Nicola, thank you all. This whole process has been uh, enlightening, and these stories and words and voices from other people have uh, reminded me in this time what we really need to be fighting. But I am an eco-womanist, which means I have... Uh, I am particularly interested in having bodies of the African diaspora to stay connected to the earth and how those bodies share in the oppression with the earth. The earth is the lamentation that is unheard. Yes. I, want to, I wanted to share that the earth is a living organism that as humans we take advantage of and the earth responds in a language that we as humans cannot understand the earth's voice needs to be heard in all of these matters so when I saw John 19 um, 38 through 42 and how Jesus was laid in the tomb I was like I wonder what did the earth say when she welcomed Jesus there Mm. what does Mm. the earth say when when she welcomes the slain bodies bodies uh by caused by white supremacy into the earth there's one thing for a people's body to be received of the earth naturally when it is time for them to go but to be caused by a dominating energy i wonder what she has to say i would take it that she mourns she grieves the energy of murder As she herself is being murdered as well. Every time the dominant culture fracks and mines into her body, she moans. Every time (laughs) oil spills into the water, she groans. Every murder, she grieves. And when the dominating energy lets all of this rise, she is devastated white supremacy and all of its minions of capitalism murder greed and many others have brought and continues to foster the silence of the matters of the earth and her voice needs to be heard so we need to tell her story that's where i
7: came
1: from and it's it's revolutionary for me like this is A whole entire game changer. Uh, We talk often about the different people, the different black and brown bodies that have been on the ground. And we talk about that. We talk about the ground. We name the ground. uh, We talk about how long the bodies stay on the ground without medical attention. We talk about the chalk outlines on the ground. We talk about the crowd standing around having to look at this body on the ground. We talk about the family. Indeed their loved ones on the ground so we're all looking at the ground
5: and can we also mention Sandra Bland sitting on the ground yes yeah, sitting being on persecuted on the ground on everything the ground. being forced to the ground and to here's ground. mother yeah. looking at us saying please why are you doing this why I don't dare not to come to me right now Mm-hmm. I why, am convinced you, that right? Jesus was not supposed to be there at that moment right Jesus was put there
1: now we, we talk about in the language that he he allowed it if you will but, but yeah that didn't have to be the way right necessarily that it that it happened and to think about you know every time you, you watch a movie and you see police in the way that they they put on the ground like that's a surrender place like so you got mm-hmm on the ground you have these bodies on the ground you have this blood flowing out of these bodies into the ground and so we're looking at the ground and we're talking about the ground but we're not actually ever hearing from the ground and you did that you did that so well and the ground is screaming the ground is crying just as you are and I just choked up when I was trying to read it because when you said and the when the rain happens we miss you too it's raining right now in Memphis and I'm about to lose it like I just, oh. because we do miss you. We do miss you people, black and brown folks and all of our brothers and sisters who have been taken before their times at the hand of violence and oppression. And it's just, it's beyond not okay. And it's beyond that place. And, and we talk about the rocks crying out at the point that there are no voices, the rocks will cry out. And the rocks are the ground. The rocks are of the earth. And, and there is crying happening in all of God's creation. All of God's creation is screaming for something different right
5: now. Speak. Speak, friend. Speak. Yes. <laughs>
1: all of that. All of that. All of that. Thank you. Thank you, Antonia. Thank you so much.
5: Ashe. Thank
1: you. I'm going to attempt to compose myself and... Um, now we want to hear from David, um, who I have yet to meet. So this is my first meeting of David, was through through David's words. And I'm so grateful for your expression. It's still a very choke up place for me, especially because you invoked the voice of Aunt Hester. I mean, what do you, I can't even, right? Now. So I'm going I'm to try. <laughs> I'm going to try um, to get through this. Um, David came from psalm 22 the first verse and oh and talk about relating this all like how do we not see these black and brown bodies in g um, in jesus's body how do we not see this your title says christ cry aunt hester's scream could not be more clear so start from the middle it says Good Friday is the day of this cry. Why have you forsaken me? It is the cry of every victim of white supremacy who was not saved from racist violence. It is the lamentation of every mother and father who lost a child to the police or the slave patrols. For those of us who seek to atone for the crimes from which we benefit and in which we will still take part, it is the cry that comes from our own hearts. Together, we grieve a world that still murders people of color. Together, we repent our place in an order that doesn't recognize these deaths as crimes. Today, we atone for a society still structured by the logic of slavery. You go on to speak about the great abolitionist Frederick Douglass and talk about being born a slave and you're coming from Um, his his, one of his writings which is a narrative which is one of my favorites and you lay out a scene a scene or a a piece of that and it was the whipping of his aunt Hester that he witnessed I don't know if I can read it right now I I don't know if I'm able I'll I'll do it just to get through it for those who don't who don't have the book Um, I'll read the excerpt it's very short and then how you close your expression Her arms were stretched up at their full length so that she stood upon the ends of her toes. He then said to her, now you bleep bleep, I'll learn you how to disobey my orders. And after rolling up his sleeve, he commenced to lay on the heavy cow skin and soon the warm red blood amid heart-rending shrieks from her and horrid oaths from him came dripping to the floor. You say, the world we live in is a world in which Aunt Esther's cry still resounds. It mingles with Christ's cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And these are only two voices in a great chorus of the anonymous dead whose blood cries out from the ground for justice. Mm. Today, as you walk through the dark of Good Friday on the road to Easter, listen for the echoes of Christ's cry and Aunt Hester's scream. Try to hear them in the places where you live, work, and worship, and turn to the Lord in prayer for the strength to grieve with those who grieve to stand with those who have suffered and are suffering even now. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Yeah, just speak with us, David, where you're coming from.
6: Yeah, thank you so much for reading that and for inviting me to participate in this amazing project. It's such an honor um, to be here and to share in this conversation now. Um, My heart is heavy with the reading of these things and what pain is present to us in between the time I wrote it and the time you're reading it, you know, here in California and nationwide grieving um, the death of Stephon Clark uh, and just thinking about the relevance of these words and unfortunately the fact that it just doesn't go away and part of my intention in writing and lifting up um, the part from Frederick Douglass was just pointing out um, especially you know for folks like me who benefit from white supremacy who are of European descent to try to make clear to people you know who might not be clear on it just the unbroken legacy of violence that so much of the state sanctioned murder that we're seeing now is part of and how that resonates mm-hmm. in Ann Hester's cry. And so that was part of it. Um, and also a nod to the great cultural, African American cultural critic Fred Moten, uh, who has written a lot about this, um, this scene uh, and what it means uh, in, in the American legacy. And then to me, I just connected you know, with, with Christ's cry. Uh, you know, Psalm 22, of course, is most famous uh, and familiar to Christians as one of the seven last words that appears in the Gospels of Mark and Matthew. Um, and in Mark's Gospel, uh, it's reported uh, in the form of Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is Aramaic. And part of the reason that touches me and that I've been thinking about for years is that Aramaic was like the native language of the colonized people of that part of the world everybody had to speak a couple of different languages because they're colonized subjects who are compelled to linguistic, you know, domination as well. So in addition to knowing Greek, which was the, lang- the colonial language, they would know their native language, their mother tongue. And so Christ's last words, he's speaking what would have been a song, right? The Psalms are a song. It's a church song. So like familiar heart song. So that's how I think about the psalms. We think about the psalms, I mean, a lot of ways, but as sort of words in the Bible. But there were songs, like we would sing, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? Or, you know, Wade in the Water. Or these songs that you have a heart connection with. And so Christ was singing a song that maybe he learned from Mary. And maybe he learned when he was a kid. And this is the song that he is offering up um, in the moment of his death. The, the heart place. Um, so that, uh, And it's just the language of his people, too. You know, Oscar Lomero said, you can kill me, but I will rise again in my people. So there's this moment where it's calling out to the larger, to the mother who's actually there, to the people who raised him and who will continue what he has to do in his healing work, um, but also just that grief um, and just turning, you know, like Paul says, you cry out, Abba, you know, uh, to, to the Lord, and you cry that out in desperation. You say, Daddy, you say, Mommy, you know, you say, Help me. And so it's just hearing that voice of even God become man saying, help me, you know? Where are you? You know? And it's just, it's a last word. You know, here in Oakland, we're going to have a seven last words of black life that's going to lift up some of the words of the victims of state violence. And this is among those words, you know, as has been so eloquently spoken before me. We don't forget that, you know, Christ is a dark-skinned body. We don't forget that Christ was murdered, that he didn't just die. We don't forget that empire murdered him because he brought love a radical love that undoes empire and we don't forget that you know we proclaim the lord's death until he comes in the communion service but if we're strengthened by the communion then we bring that out into the world and declare it prophetically especially in the time of principalities and powers so you know it's important not to rush through our feelings on this that's the other part of the um, part of it and part of Good Friday is like being there with this stuff, you know. So that's that's part of the piece, too. It was,
1: it, it's an amazing, it's an amazing piece. It's very, it paints a, va- a very gruesome picture. Oftentimes, um, the way preachers are able to paint the picture of uh, Jesus's. Um, both his trial, you know, "quote unquote" trial and um, torment, and then the the crucifixion itself—that gruesome picture—is oftentimes what brings people to Christ. And mm-hmm. the picture painted by Frederick Douglass—I I, I mean, I have an auntie. I, I don't even—I can't imagine right now watching my aunt. Being stripped and beaten, to the mm. point blood flows out of her body simply because she she is a black woman and and in bondage, uh, and so that's a grim picture. And I just in 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 my in my black skin right now, David and and Jasmine, Rashana, Yvette, mm. Tania, and Nicola, I am we, a lot of us, are, are in major grief, and we are crying, I'm like, basically crying right now, and mm-hmm. to not wash over those feelings. I thank you for saying that, for even kind of giving me a moment to, to express and feel those things, um, because happening. There's a wash of emotions happening, and mm-hmm. Stephon Clark murdered holding a cell phone um, in, in the backyard. I mean... Mm-hmm. and I started talking about doing this. We wanted to speak against obviously white supremacy that we knew wasn't going away immediately, but from November to now, just the different levels of atrocities that have already happened in Asheville, we have black man that was um, tasered and beaten um, senseless. And, and it was covered up by a whole bunch of white bodies, um, Mm -hmm. covered up and glossed over. And only once the footage was leaked, was action quickly taken I'll put it put it like that and we are tired I mean, like what at what point do does it have to be your aunt like does it have to be your kid like does it does it have to be your exact neighbor that lives next door like at what point can we not see the suffering of these other people and these bodies that may be different but their bodies and heartbeats and we are Tired of grieving, we're tired of feeling. We are super extra tired. <laughs> I mean, just super extra tired. A lot of the people on this phone have children. We all have some level of connectivity to some level of family. And you said we can't forget that Jesus is in this brown body, but like, there are some people who are still, det- you know, rejecting that. So how do we get there, y'all? Like, how do we get there, and how do we? make it through this grief how do we make it through all these i have so many questions and on some level i'm getting lost in my grief right now and a lot of us are and it doesn't mean I, you know we won't stand up and continue to fight we're fighting right now just having this discussion um but it's getting harder it's getting harder and harder and harder and harder Thank you. Thank
6: you. Thank you. Well, can I say one thing about that? And before we Absolutely. open it up to the group, which Absolutely. is that I understand again, as a beneficiary of white supremacy and European descent person, my call is to really help, um, take responsibility for breaking through the spiritual blindness of white supremacy and, and helping in the conversion of the heart in any way that I can to, um, you know, illuminate the people and break down that dividing wall of hostility that you know you're you're talking about, and I consider it a mystery of iniquity. I you know it's it's painful to me to see how people can't see what's right in front of them in terms of um some folks who are are victimized by this violence and, and that humanity. Um, but I um, am encouraged by the people I know who are you know, white folks working on anti-racism, many of whom are Christian and using uh, the scripture to talk about this. And I think that there are so many more resources in our scripture to create a basis for this conversation specifically um, that needs to be unveiled. One of them is that, you know, talking about with friends this week is from Genesis 4 and the story of Cain and Abel, where God says, you know, what is it that you have done the voice of the blood of your brother is crying out from the ground. And, um, you know, in the Hebrew, that blood is actually in the plural. It's the blood, you know? So it's like the plural, the blood that keeps flowing. And that is the blood that keeps calling to all of us in each moment to, like, um, have a greater resurrection of our own humanity um, and connect to and listen to that voice.
7: Completely. Completely agreed in every way. And I want to thank everyone who's on the call uh, right now. And just since this is our kind of last one that was involved in the devotional and everything, both for your expressions and also for just doing the work. We did not call on people who are just sitting around talking and having random conversations, but we call on people who... Has something to say also about the work that they were doing, and so just for that, we're um, completely grateful. Uh, Michael McBride did reach out to me and was trying to join in, but um, I don't, I don't think he was able to. So um, we are going to carry forward. Thank you for joining us this week, as always. The transcript of this episode is available on the Surge website, and it will include references, credits, and copyright information, as well as a bunch of resources to support your action. In just a couple of days, uh, Reverend Ann Dunlap Easter, Easter uh, podcast will be posted, so be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss any of those things.
0: Our final portion of this podcast is to call you to action. I wanna begin the call to action with a reiteration, especially for our uh, white listeners, people who like me are of European descent to start with lament. I think that we have to hear the blood crying from the ground and our refusal historically to do that has allowed this level of violence to persist. Yeah. So I wanted to begin our call to action there and then to ask you to allow that lament to move you into action. We're asking you to learn about the present day state sanctioned killing of black and brown people by law enforcement, corrections officers and vigilantes. And we're further asking you to take action to end it. We'll be linking to a full set of educational resources and action ideas in the transcript of this episode. Again, you can find that at the Surge website. You can also learn more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org. And our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on the word is resistance. You can interact with us there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. The music you hear throughout this podcast is a live recording of a song gifted to the Freedom Movement by Dr. Vincent Harding, We Are Building Up a New World. The group you hear singing is No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, and it's being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney-Harding family for letting us use this song for our podcast. Our sound editor this week is Paul Stewart. Thank you, Paul. As always, blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Until next time, I'm Nicola Torbett.
7: And I am Bahisha Hassan.